0: Starting up a business is hard, really, really hard. Your chances of failure are high. You're likely to lose both your sleep and your hair. But luckily for you, you're not alone. Welcome to ET Startup School, your step-by-step guide to starting, building, and consolidating your startup business idea. Your teachers at the ET Startup School will be some of India's best-known entrepreneurs, VCs, and domain experts. So grab a notebook, pay close attention, school is about to start. Today's class at ET Startup School is called How do I hire and pay the right people to join me? Your teacher is Upasana Taku. Upasana is the co-founder and chairperson of MobiQuick. MobiQuick has over 120 million registered users, turned profitable in 2021 and closed the year 2022 with a revenue of 540 crore rupees. As smart as she is, Upasana couldn't have done all of this just by herself. She obviously had to hire a large, competent team to manage, run and grow MobiQuick. And how exactly did she manage to find and hire the right people? Listen on and find out. Hello and welcome to ET Startup School. Today's teacher is Upasana Taku. Upasana is chairperson, co-founder and chief operating officer of MobiQuick. Upasna, today's class is called, How do I hire and pay the right people to join my startup? So, let me start with the first question. Now, startups usually have great ideas, passionate founders, but not much money. But you need good people and good people need money. Right? You don't have the money, but you need the people. How do you solve for this conundrum?
1: <clears throat> so, thanks. Thanks for asking me. And uh, it's wonderful um, and pleasure to be here uh, at the IT Startup School. So you're very right. When when a founder gets started, when I got started, um, you know, thirteen years ago, literally started from my um, dining table with two of us with our laptops open, and we were thinking about, you know, how will we hire our first engineer, our first operations person, and this was exactly the problem. We were a bootstrap company for three four years, so the first three years were full of uh, sales pitch. So the first thing you have to do is to sell your vision and sell yourself that you know i'm a accomplished and well-educated professional and i have given up my cushy and high paying job because this is the vision i believe in that we can do something that nobody else is doing and we can make a difference and subsequently there will be a lot of financial value that will be created in the company and as the first few employees you know you will benefit from that so i think uh it is not easy um, it is also irrational to think that people can live on peanuts. They cannot. They need money to sustain. However, what I can tell you is uh, a decade ago when we got started, you know, we worked with the with the first few employee, uh, employees, we worked with a plan where we could give them sustenance money, so a very basic salary so that, uh, you know, rental and home living expenses were managed. And of course, we were paying it from our own savings, uh, the two founders, our savings is what we were using to pay. But of course, there was a very large value assigned to uh, stock options. So for the early employees, you know, you give them a lot of ESOP, um, either direct shares or uh, stock options. And secondly, I think that it's not just with the initial team, but as you scale, as you go from five employees to 10 to 50, uh, you know, the ESOP will not be valued as much by everyone. So an entry-level engineer or an operations person will not value ESOP as much as, let's say, somebody who will take on a leadership role in your company as your startup grows. So there the ESOP value can be high. But for entry-level business roles, operations roles, engineering roles, you know, you will have to find a way to give them compensation. And to that, you know, either you can bootstrap or you can use seed funding, but it will have to be low. You will have to still sell on uh, your vision as well as the exposure that these people will get because if they go and work in big companies they will be you know a small uh, piece of the whole pie versus in a small startup you know they will get a lot of opportunity and they will also grow faster well, i would say that what you learn in an early stage startup in one year is what you would learn in three to four years in a larger company
0: okay so you sell vision you sell visibility you sell opportunity And you sell the chance to get in at the ground floor of a brand new business where they can grow pretty quickly. Now, what are employees really looking for? Is it money, inspiration, fun office space, work-life balance, stock options, all of the above? How do you determine what the employee is actually really looking for?
1: So, I think uh, a little bit of everything. So, also at the early stage, you know, uh, camaraderie and uh, working very closely with the founders is also part of the sales pitch uh you know you do not get that opportunity if you're working at a you know infosys or a google you know you're not getting anywhere close to sundar Pichai anytime soon uh but when you're working for a startup you know you do get to work with uh, the founders directly especially when you know the company is uh, the first 10 to 50 people and i think that is a huge part of the value proposition Uh, in the beginning, it doesn't need to be fancy office, but there has to be a spirit of camaraderie, teamwork. And it's just like if you're watching a cricket match or a football match, if you accomplish something which was impossible, like you thought you're going to lose the match, but ultimately you win the match, uh, you know, then that creates a lot of happiness collectively for the team effort. And of course, you want to celebrate that. So almost every day, every week, every month in an early stage startup is like that. You're trying to do something where you are so 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 much of an underdog you know you also think that it's unattainable but you work towards it some deal some partnership that will take your company to the next level or will prove that your product really has a market and everybody works very hard at it and so when some of those things come through then you know you have to celebrate your wins now how you celebrate them with a pizza or a beer or you know take everybody to the movies or a, a, you know that is secondary but you have to celebrate it so Uh, The ownership uh, that develops within the early team comes from that, you know, very close bonding. I would say that uh, a lot of employees uh, that come to early stage startups are definitely looking at it as their learning ground. Many such employees are, you know, people who have the vision that they want to become, uh, you know, startup founders themselves and you know before you start out on your own isn't it better that you start out in a startup founded by somebody else where you are also a key part of the core team but you know you are you are you're learning on the expense of another company another company shareholders invested money etc etc so i think the exposure is the number one thing i would say uh the learning of course um upside in terms of equity becoming valuable uh is something that employees look for And in terms of comps, I would say early stage uh, startups cannot be, you know, the highest uh, pay givers. It is actually the quality of the work and the scope of um, innovative things that you can do is that is what attracts more people. Because, you know, by default, there will be many multinational companies that will be offering much larger pay packages. But there you are doing, you know, very Uh, you're you're not doing so meaningful work. And I think that is what attracts most people uh, to high-quality new startups.
0: So as an entrepreneur, you have, I guess, three levers you can operate a Profit share, stock options, and salary. How do you make make sure you've arrived at the optimum combination of all three? And is profit share even a thing that you talk about when you hire people?
1: This depends a little bit. Uh, I would say profit sharing would uh, be uh, quite useful if you are part of a B2B. company, because B2B companies often don't have to spend as much on, let's say, user acquisition um, and other fixed costs. Therefore, they turn profitable faster. And so there could be an element of profit sharing, especially in business roles, where you bring in deals which result directly uh, impact to the bottom line. So then you can get a share of that, whatever that number is, half a percent, few basis points of that deal or even one percent. But I think that um, as the company scales. You know, the the weightage of uh, salary versus ESOP changes. And I'll come to the profit sharing just in a moment. When you are starting off, I think to get your key talent, ESOP is the big hero. Uh, compensation is not. After the company has gone over, let's say, 100 employees or more and has raised uh, some money, especially in a consumer B2C startup. I think that you have to rationalize and bring up the salary it may still not be the highest salary in the market but it can't be like you know half of the market salary so to speak it can be let's say 20 percent lower 25 percent lower but i think it has to be rational in that sense that the basic pay package is um you know being offered to people is not very low than what they would will market salary of course the weightage on esop continues and the weightage of esop is stronger and higher for you know your uh, cxos as well as your middle management but uh, even though we offer esops to uh, employees at all levels but i think the weightage of that for somebody who makes let's say 7 to 10 lakhs the weightage of esop for them is much lower than the weightage of somebody who is making you know 25 to 40 lakhs and if they have esops worth an equivalent amount or even double the amount then that is something that they would really value because you know, one given day that could uh, give them an amazing outcome, whether it is in the form of a secondary um, sale or whether it is in the form of uh, m or uh, IPO. Now, coming to the profit sharing, while I said there are some businesses, uh, especially in the services and B2B product space where companies do turn profitable, so profit sharing makes sense. But something we have tried at different stages is also uh, variables, uh, which are... Uh, uh, you know, based on uh, deals, based on performance, etc. And I think they also help uh, because it's it's a two way thing. It's allowing the startup to keep their fixed base salary low. But if people are, you know, really hitting the shots out of the park, you know, they are literally hitting sixes and fours as an I'm just taking an anecdote from cricket, then there is no harm in paying them extra for those, uh, you know, extraordinary efforts. And it's not like you're giving people over the top uh, compensation. You're giving them uh, a, a meaningful compensation. But if they perform super explain, exemplary, which re- results in direct impact to the P&L of the startup, then there's no harm in having uh, very strong, uh, you know, variable packages uh, in there.
0: Here's the next problem, Upasana. A startup may lose money for the first few years or first many years. But inflation is a real thing. Employees are not only going to need a cost of living salary, but they're going to need raises as well at the end of the year, in spite of the fact that the startup doesn't may not be making any actual money. Do you need to justify a decision like this to your investors, giving raises to people or the quantum of the raise?
1: No, I don't think so. I think that uh, it's, a, it's a well-accepted norm that annual appraisals have to happen. Uh, and now how much are those annual appraisals, you know, one can... Uh, Be rational about that in good times, uh, whether the markets are strong, whether the company's performance is strong. So, for example, if the company is uh, doubling its revenue, more than 100% growth in revenue every year, and it's becoming more and more profitable, then there is absolutely no reason why the company will not give very strong appraisals. Uh, You know, anything from 15 to even 25 to 30%. Of course, depending on the functions, the appraisal percentages uh, vary. Uh, But if it's a bad year, you know, uh, whether it is a bad year from a market perspective COVID geopolitical reasons perspective or even if it's a bad year for the company, so the revenue growth is flattish and the bond is more than that was planned, then, um, you know, what it does mean that collectively the team has not done as well as they would like, which means that the company cannot therefore give a, a high appraisal, but a baseline appraisal of, you know, um, 10 to 15% would still need to be paid. And of course, it has to be paid. You know, we use very uh, mathematical standards for that. Every employee is rated and employees, uh, you know, who are rated uh, sort of good and great will get better appraisals and employees who are rated satisfactory or average will get an average appraisal. And everybody who is, uh, you know, not... uh, playing to the satisfactory mark will absolutely not get an appraisal and you will know, we'll probably get told to either pull up their socks or find something else.
0: Okay, so now we've spoken about money and hiring. Now, let's talk about the process that you use at Mobiquick. How do you hire people? Is it headhunters, referrals, resumes, uh, online portals? How do you do it? Uh,
1: a little bit of everything. I mean, I was the first recruiter for the company. Uh, so, I can tell you this uh, quite candidly. I was the first recruiter until we got to maybe about 15 20 people post which i hired the first uh, recruiter in-house uh, because it's a lot of coordination work i mean it's a it's a job and a function in itself to find the right quality talent who has the skill set and the experience that you want but also fits in with the cultural values every company has different cultural values just like every family has different cultural values um, and so finding that fit in terms of attitude culture Homogeneous behavior of individuals is equally important as is the experience and the skill set of the person. So I would say if you've reached 15, 20 people, do not be dependent on external recruiters and or the one of the founders looking at it themselves. You know, hire and start creating your HR team and uh, especially on the talent acquisition side and keep building it up. And then, you know, we have found, uh, uh online platforms whether it is linkedin uh high risk, I am jobs Nokia, et etc to be quite useful for you know different functions we also find a very strong incoming pipeline of candidates every time we post on some of these uh, uh platforms especially linkedin which is a little uh, social and referral prone also we also get a lot of good referrals from our own uh, uh employee as well as our partner network uh, so to speak uh, and I think these turn out to be far more stronger, you know, converts for us. We do work with, uh, you know, uh, partners, uh, external HR agencies, which help us on select roles. But we used to do that a lot more uh, initially. And we realized that this is an ongoing thing. You know, if your company and your business is going to grow, you're going to need uh, more and more uh, talent. So it is better to start early in this function and build out your internal um, skill set, because uh, regardless of how closely you work with the external recruiters, the culture fit is not something that they will be able to assess, uh, you know, very easily. So our process is very simply, you know, we, we we make sure that the JD is very clear or what we want to uh, who we want to hire with what type of skills we post it in all these places. We also do headhunting. Uh, like the the recruiter does headhunting also looking for the right candidates and from the mix of applicants and the headhunting and the referrals you know we we shortlist people we do i think one or two rounds we do uh virtually and then we also ask in people to come and uh, meet us and uh, you know for us the focus is far more on uh, making sure that the person will be effective uh, within the company and is not just a very strong candidate on the resume who will not become, you know, effective in the
0: company. All right, Rupasta, Let's talk about resumes. Now, it's a well-established fact that most of us embellish our resumes or fly a little bit, just a little creative truth-telling on our resumes. When you get a resume, what do you actually look for? Red flags and green flags?
1: See, red flags and green flags, both you look for. So, firstly, you look for... Uh, uh, you know, depending on uh, the, the role, uh, you look for what is the person's education background and what kind of work have they done. And, uh, you know, if it is, uh, you know, a good experience, which is far more relevant to what you're doing, then, you know, that's amazing. Uh, in terms of red flags, uh, you know, you look for has the person been jumping around uh, You know, with the Gen Z, you find that to be the case. Like every nine months, 12 months, a person has hop jobs. So that's always not a good sign. The person may be amazing, uh, super sharp, but Like first you will teach them, they'll learn and once they're ready to create value, uh, you know, they're unstable, obviously in their decision making. So we we pay a lot of stress actually in going through enough rounds with a person where it's not just us assessing them, but we also keep telling them realistic things about our company. So it's going to be chaos, it's going to be maddening, many things will come at you, you have to be ready to do this, that, etc. So that we try to question the person many times, especially if a person is coming from a more traditional large company that are you sure you want to do this? Because, you know, we don't want to hire somebody who wants to work with us for a year, at least three to four years is the tenure that we look for. So try to gauge what the person is really looking for and whether we fit in there. And... uh, You know, if the person has written too many things that, you know, I alone built Rome and I alone built uh, Athens, then that is also a big red flag, so to speak, because you know that, for example, such and such project cannot be done by one person. You know, you can be one person in the core team, you could even be the leader for that, but it would need an army of people to accomplish such and such project that is mentioned on the resume so i mean that also goes against people if they have over puffed themselves so the hiring manager gets a bunch of uh, you know resumes from the hr team uh, from the talent acquisition team they shortlist uh, the resumes and then the first screening uh, one or two rounds happen uh, virtually on uh, um, on uh, google meet etc uh, telecalls and then if the person especially if it's a technical person then there is also some assignment or uh, program uh, programming logic work that gets assessed Post that we have the people come into our offices and we do at least two three meetings uh, in one day uh, where different levels of people would evaluate them Uh, and we're evaluating not just on the skills required. So whether it's a salesperson, whether it's a marketing person, whether it's a finance person, whether it's an engineer. We are not assessing them just to recheck their experiences that they have claimed and how difficult things have they done. We are also trying to figure out that how um, how uh, career minded or professional is that person. How much do they want to achieve? Because if they are not curious minded, if they not don't want to you know do something amazing, then they're not going to work uh, you know uh, extremely hard. And or stimulate themselves to go out of their comfort zone and do something that they've never done before. So those are the kind of things we look for. We also look a lot for attitude. So I I still remember even 8 or 10 years ago, I had the opportunity to hire somebody uh, who had the you know best pedigree uh, in terms of engineering school. And I think he or she was working with Adobe or Samsung and was contemplating a role here. And uh, just in the interview, it became evident that the person was had huge attitude problems. Like they had a chip on their shoulder, and you know, such a person we would not hire only because it would spoil our culture. So that is also important for us. I would much rather would much rather hire somebody who is seven or eight on the skill capability, but like a ten out of ten on attitude, uh, teamwork, and the, the the possibility to go a long way.
0: Another piece of conventional wisdom says, hire for attitude and train for skill, right? Now, that's all well and fine to say, but startup founders have limited amount of time and resources and, and frankly, manpower and bandwidth to train people. And like you said, you may train people and they may go away quickly after you train them. So how do you do this, uh, d- juggle this conundrum between having the right attitude and the right set of skills?
1: See, I think in the early stages and even as you grow, I mean, I will always bet more on the can-do attitude. Because if you have the attitude, you know, then you can do a marathon. Then you can, you know, do a everest space camp. And similarly, you can do whatever is the role that is being given to you in a startup. But if you don't have the attitude, you know, you could be a topper from IIT Bombay. But if you don't have the attitude uh, to get things done, if you don't have the ability to bring people along to achieve what you want to achieve then then you know then it's not very uh, useful for me if you are a smart cookie uh, you know per se because ultimately getting something done is is a teamwork and whether it is teamwork within the company or with external partners so i still believe in this so i'll give you an example if you want to hire somebody who you know has to have let's say five years of experience doing so-and-so thing, which would make them sort of the ready-made package, Uh, you know, they can hit the ground running for some, uh, let's say business role or an engineering lead role. You find somebody who doesn't have five, six years of experience, maybe has three years of experience. So you believe that they have not had as challenging projects as you would have liked, uh, and you want to hire them for, you know, a middle level engineering lead role or something. If that person has very high amount of energy and very strong, um, you know, ambition, uh, you know, to, to grow uh, and to learn, uh, this learning fast thing is something that cannot be taught in schools and colleges. If a person has that, but has less experience, has had less exposure, they're fairly mature and stable in their thought process, you know, then I would go for them. Somebody who has already achieved that level or has already arrived, you know, at five or six years is already in some middle management role in an existing product or tech company. Selling to that person and getting to that person to come to your company can be a huge uh, amount of selling that you will have to do. So you will have to pay, you know, significantly higher out of the packet for somebody who is a 10 out of 10 in terms of has everything that you need. Somebody who is a seven out of ten, eight out of ten in terms of um, technical ability and experience, but has a lot more attitude and ability to learn fast, you know, will be cheaper on your uh, company's uh, PNL pay pocket, and will also always work harder because he or she, um, you know, is is motivated to rise up through the ranks, to do better, to learn faster, and I think that is something that one needs to you know, really, um, you know, look for. I mean, it's like finding a raw diamond uh, that is not yet fully polished. And you as a founder have the ability to polish this person. And this will make their career as well as it will create immense value for your
0: company. Upasana, you said uh, you were the first recruiter at Quick, You hired the first team of 10, 15 people. But at a certain point, you're going to hire people and they're going to hire other people. Now, how do you make sure values get transmitted from you to the person that you hire who is eventually going to hire somebody else? You can't be hiring every single employee forever.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, But I do want to tell you, I think until we reach 150 or 200 uh, people, I think between the founders, we had interviewed every single person as the last round. We used Mm -hmm. to do that. Uh, And then after that, you know, we, we realized that we have to find a way to manage our time also better. So, but even today um for somebody who is uh, you know getting recruited anywhere so today we are a 500 plus people company and we also employ maybe another 300 400 people uh, you know who work for our partner companies but exclusively work for us so maybe overall 800 to 900 people so we can't have uh, absolutely interview anyone and everyone but for persons who are coming in um where there is significant impact that they are going to create even if they are an individual contributor you know we would definitely one of the founders would definitely interview them and in business engineering product or other roles typically if somebody is coming in at a director or a senior role we do make sure that you know we interview them uh, regardless of the rounds that they have gone through but the main question you asked the way to ensure that the people that your leaders are hiring are aligned is by making sure that you have hired the right people. And as they are growing within the company, of course, you interact with them on a daily, weekly basis. So you have the opportunity to assess their thought process, their decision making so many times. And wherever you think they're going wrong, we try to have a very uh, you know open door policy where when people have concerns, they come and ask us. But when we also think that a person is uh, let's say um, showcasing a, a trade or value that would not uh, be well aligned to our company's core values. You know, we would talk to them and get them you know fully aligned. So the way to make sure that the people that are being hired by your leaders um, are the right people is to make sure is by making sure continuously, not at the time of hiring but also during their tenure in the company that your leaders are fully aligned with the founders in terms of how they make their decisions how they treat people, etc.
0: So, those transmission of values is not a one-time thing. It's continuous is what you're saying.
1: And I can tell you, I have made mistakes also. All I right. will, it, it will be wrong to assume that we don't make mistakes. You know, how to be a good founder, a leader is not being taught in any university in the world. So, you will make mistakes. I have ha- hired wrong leaders and they have in 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 their capacity built teams below them with the wrongful... Um, uh middle managers and beyond also. But then the important thing is how soon you identify that mistake. And, you know, you have to, uh you have to t- rationalize or make those changes. So either you work with the person uh, to change them or you bring in a new leader and then he or she makes sure that uh, the changes that are required in the culture uh, flow through.
0: So you pass, now that's precisely why we started ET Startup School because how to be a founder and run a business is not ta- taught in any B school. That's why we are stepping in. But let's get back to this earlier thing that you said about hiring the wrong people. Now, in spite of everybody's best efforts, it's inevitable that at some point you may hire a wrong person. But here's an added problem, and I've faced this myself. Some companies have what are called talented jerks. Now, These are incredibly talented people. They may be excellent salespeople, excellent tech people, excellent marketing people, and they're probably very profitable for the company to retain but they're political, they treat people badly, their values are out of alignment with the company. Now, have you faced this conundrum that you have somebody who's extremely talented and valuable, but is being a jerk towards the company? What do you do then? Keep the person and just grit your teeth or bite the bullet and let them go?
1: No, so I think there were times when uh, we were trying to compensate, but I learned, that's the mistake that I learned, that... Uh, you know, you don't uh, you don't bite the bullet. I mean, you don't uh, compensate for those people by you know putting out fires that they create. I think that uh, one bad fish in the fish pond can create a domino effect of uh, you know throwing off the entire team or sub function, uh, culture, learn fabric of that team completely out of whack, how they represent the founder values or the vision of the company to their team members. Also, uh, you know, is very different from how we would do it. So it's better to sort out that issue uh, sooner than later. So as a company, you know, you have to know what is your core fabric. So personally for us, you know, we don't like people who talk too much or, you know, think too much of themselves. I mean, I've gone to an Ivy League my school uh, school myself, but I never mention it, um, you know, to people because that's what education is meant to be. It teaches you how to relate to people. Um, I think that we do not value people uh, coming from strong pedigree just because of that. They have to be able to prove their mettle. And just because, uh, you know, you've had a privilege few years in life doesn't mean that you can treat poorly. So firstly that is a very bad omen. If somebody in your team, even at whatever level they are, if they don't treat, let's say, the housekeeping staff uh, nicely, then, you know, that is a sure, shot sure sign that they are not a good human being to begin with. So we, we don't cope well as founders. We don't cope well with the egotistical people, with political people, with people who are, like you said, jerks. And I want to say this, that actually, Of the two, three times, you know, we've had such people, it's not as if they are all very um, uh, impactful either. All of them look very promising Mm -hmm. because they speak very well Mm -hmm. and they present themselves very well. Both themselves as well as if you do ref checks on them, you will hear the best things. But that's the thing that you learn. That just like companies do PR, there are some people who good, have a good personal PR plan. image and that's actually not the real them. So it's important to peel the onions. And the way to assess such people, uh, which I've learned literally later, is if you're assessing someone, but you're not sure, don't even go by the market ref checks. Try to do something in a consulting fashion. Okay, I want to give you this project. I want to see how you do. Okay. And test what you're trying to bring in the person for. And uh, what I will say is that talented jerks are not useful at all. And I would say very few of them are actually. Uh, actually,
0: talented. Okay.
1: Most of them are uh, talented on the resume, but not really uh, that impactful.
0: All right. I know this is an episode about how to hire people, but let's talk a moment about how to fire people. Now, you've made a mistake. You've hired a person. The person is entrenched in the company. What's the best way to fire somebody, Upasna?
1: The best way to uh, ask somebody to go is just to have a frank conversation with them and say that, look, when we hired you, these were the things that we had in mind. Now, let's see where we are qualitatively on these two, three, four things, whatever they are. And let's see what you have done in the last three months, six months, etc. And uh, personally, what I would say is I would always give the person another chance. Um, And I would say that, look, from these four things, if you can make a difference in these two things. In the next one month, in the next two months, then you will demonstrate to us that you can be valuable and we will work with you to, uh, you know, improve whatever other shortcomings. We will give you the right resources so that, uh, you know, whatever is your blind spot uh, can be fixed. But I think it has to be performance driven unless, uh, you know, there is completely inappropriate behavior. I would always focus more on performance and also give uh Uh, anecdotal feedback about the personal elements soft skills etc that you need to you know work on these if the person has demonstrated good performance in the past and it's a uh, it's a short time blur then we would also give the person some benefit of the doubt maybe there's a personal situation somebody sick at home going through a divorce etc all those things can be there but typically this is how we do it give the person some time if the person is really and truly uh, interested in your company, then they will do the work and if they are not, then it will be evident uh, after giving the final ultimatum. Within a few weeks, it will be clear which direction the person is going in. So that is one way. Another way is to hire somebody on top of them in terms of the hierarchy. If you believe that somebody needs to straighten this person out on a day-to-day.
0: And does that work? Hiring somebody else on top of them, does it work in real life?
1: So again, if the person believes that they have a good opportunity currently in your company and they need more guidance than what they are getting, they'll stay. Otherwise, they will look at it as a sign and they will leave. So my personal view is to tell people that they need to, uh, you know, improve and either tell them that, you know, here are the things that you can improve on or I'm going to hire somebody above you and or in the performance appraisals, you know, give them... Um, the factual appraisal and say that, you know, your performance is not to the par. And so your perf- appraisal is not going to be great either. And based on all of these messages, the person themselves will sort out, you know, what is the right uh, you know outcome.
0: Now, Pazna, sometimes you're going to have to sell the idea of a salary cut to people. You may not want to downsize, but you may have to reduce salaries because of economic downturns, because of geopolitical realities, like you said. How do you sell this idea to your employees?
1: So that's a good question. So I think firstly, I would say uh, to all, uh, you know, the viewers for this that do not, you know, I spoke about how when you start, you can be at a, at a very base salary package. And as you scale up as a company, and you prove yourself, then you need to be only Let's say 20%, 25, 30% below the market. You can't really be at 50% below market or 60% below market. In the last few years, when we had a very strong run in the markets and there was money flowing uh, in the private capital markets very fluidly, you know, you were seeing people doing crazy things. So my suggestion to all the viewers is that do not do crazy things because crazy things do not sustain. Ultimately, you want to build a venture that will sustain. And therefore, firstly, don't give over the top salaries is what I was trying to say. Please do not give BMW bikes and all kinds of crazy perks which are not sustainable. Uh, again, for selective people based on their performance, do give out significantly more incentive in terms of variable. But do not keep your fixed cost, your base salaries over the top. Do not, you cannot ever compete with trillion dollar companies like a Google or Amazon. So there is no point in trying to win that race. You can't bring over the best talent on the base of money. So if you don't have to, uh, you know, very high salaries when the bad days come, then you would not have to rationalize as much as well. So you can solve your own problem by having a steady approach to life rather than doing a sine curve up and down, up and down. That's number one. Number two, uh, you know, you asked. So in the last two years, uh, Suresh, uh, and even now, if you see 2020, first wave of COVID came, 2021, second wave of COVID came. And uh, what is called in India, the funding winter or the funding freeze came. And globally also, you're seeing, uh, you know, big tech, uh, you know, laying off people uh, in thousands. I'm happy to inform you that at MobiQuick, we have not fired anyone in the last two years because of the COVID situation or the hit on the revenue because of COVID or the uh, last year's geopolitical situation with Ukraine and what was happening in the country. And that's only because we were able to keep our cost base same in the last three years it's not gone over the top now uh have we in ever in the past or even during this COVID time have we done something yes we have so during the first wave of COVID, we told people we know that it is very important for you and all your family members to have uh you know medical insurance because without that what will you do so there will not be any layoffs in the company everybody will get their salary on time however your uh, uh, variables, the bonuses that are part of your CTCs, they will not be paid this year. So in 2020 we didn't pay it. I think we subsequently paid it in January 21 once the business had bounced back in October, November 2020. So those kind of things we do. We make, we do a town hall and we announce very publicly and we put it on email also that based on the current performance, based on this geopolitical situation, this year this is not happening. We will assess it next year when the company is in a better uh, financial situation in terms of revenue. We also, uh, in that year, we didn't do any appraisals in 2020. So we said again appraisal, we will look at it in early 2021 after we have come out of COVID and recovered in terms of the revenues and the profitability of the company. So those kind of things we do and the only way to do is to have a very simple and objective and clear discussion in terms of an all hands. And ask, allow, we do an AMA kind of thing. So, we allow people to ask any question. Where people will say that, what will happen? So, we will say, see, our primary objective is to make sure that everybody gets their base salary on the first of the month. And everybody is covered under medical insurance. Except for uh, very poor performance, there will not be, you know, anyone who will be asked to, uh, you know, leave. But you will have to be also... On the other side, patient with the company that we need to recover. We need to improve the revenues and the profits of the company before we can do so and so. thing. So I find these to be far more prudent approaches. Even when a company needs to do a salary cut, I would do, uh, I would do some math. And I would say that, let's say you have 100 people, 50 people, 200 people, whatever you have, your leadership uh, at the top, you know, will be a significantly larger part of your total pay package. So I would put in a, you do some math and see and you would do a larger cut there because it's safe to assume that your leaders, uh, you know, have some sustenance money, some savings, which they can dip it to. But somebody who works in the company at the entry level at four lakh, eight lakh, they will not have so much sustenance money. So there, if any pay cut has to be done, it has to be much smaller, maybe 10 percent, 20 percent or something in that nature. And it can also be a cut that you can say that you will pay later, uh, you know, in the next one year, whenever the situation is better. Or if you're not intending to pay it at all and you say that this is a cut and for this time period, then also you announce it and make it clear from the beginning.
0: upasna final question for you. I'm going to ask you to answer a hypothetical. Assuming that you are 22 years old today and you are applying for your first job and you want quick to hire you, how would you make sure you get the job at Quick?
1: We've had very interesting people, by the way, uh, pitch in to us. We've had people, you know, who have created um, uh, videos of themselves and have submitted it via Insta or LinkedIn on such and such platforms and also have directly emailed us. Somebody who has made a project and sent it to us that this is what I would like to do. So I would say that uh, it's always good to apply to the company, not just via uh, application platforms, but uh, via somebody that you know at the company. And if not, you can also directly, you know, write in to TA at MobiQuick and, uh, you know, apply. But try to make your application as uh, interesting and unique as possible. That showcases your curiosity and your sense of, uh, you know, giving yourself a challenge and uh, rising quickly. So that is what we are looking for. Some unique element of the person and also a good understanding of what we do here at MobiQuick. So we hate it when people come for interviews and they don't know what the hell we do. I mean, it it, it doesn't work well.
0: Upasana Taku of MobiQuick. Thank you for being part of ET Startup School.
1: Thank you so much. I do hope that uh, I wasn't rambling and that your viewers find, uh, your audience find something uh, meaningful in what I had to say.
0: Absolutely. So that brings us to almost the end of today's class at ET Startup School. If you'd like to be a good student, check out and do the homework assignment in the show notes. If you like the podcast, share it with family, friends, even your frenemies. ET Startup School is produced by Animesh Das with inputs from Anupriya Nair, Erika D'Souza, Arijit Barman, Shilpa Sharma, Harish Shavla, Govind Mundra and Vishal Bhandari. ET Startup School is available on economictimes.com and ET Play, as well as Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Geo and Google Podcasts.